You're listening to the Penrith Perception Podcast, where we drive discussions about the cogs and gears that run a selective high school in New South Wales. In today's very last episode of the year, we will hear from a very special guest. Mr Long has been the principal of Penrith High School for a number of years, who is eager to reflect on and share with us his past experiences at our school and his plans for the future. As we near the end of the 2023 school year, it's an important time for students and teachers to reflect upon the times that have gone by and the remarkable journey we've collectively undertaken at Penrith Selective High School. Today, we have the privilege of gaining insight from Mr. Long, whose leadership has left an indelible mark on our school community. As we delve into his experiences and perspectives, we not only celebrate the successes and achievements of the past, but also look forward to a bright and prosperous future. Hi, sir. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you, and thanks for having me. It's lovely to see you both. Yeah, I, I think I also got like a lo- like really excited when I heard that you're going to be our next interviewer. Well, I was really excited to uh, to sit down and, and talk with both of you about the podcast. I remember when it started, and it's been um, great to listen to, and I really enjoy listening to it every time it drops. So nice to be here. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so um, for the newer viewers who might not have seen you or had you as a principal, do you want to just give a little introduction about yourself? Of course. The, uh, so I came to Penrith in Term 3, 2016. I came for 10 weeks and I'm still technically here. So I've been the principal since that point in time, but I've been out of the school uh, since the beginning of 2022 because um, the Department of Education asked me to go over as the Director Educational Leadership for the Sutherland Network. But Penrith has been always front and centre, um, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, as of sort of the start of next year, I'm taking up a new position as a CEO of an education group in California. Yeah, that was a bit of a shock when we heard it during the assembly time like a few weeks ago. <laughs> I think I heard a few people crying about it as well. I think you've always, like made like a really big mark on our school community. I think people are really going to miss you, but I'm really excited to well, think about what you've done. I'm yeah. going to miss lots of people because Penrith is a place that is very, very close to my heart and I've had a, an amazing time and it was a big decision to um to make the move, but I um, I love the place, you know. But it's uh, Penrith has been here for 73 years as a high school and... Um, the school is in really great hands. So, so where did your teaching journey begin? What motivated you to become a principal? So my career started at a time when in New South Wales schools, you didn't need a degree to teach in private schools. So I was, um, I just did some casual work while I was at university, which was, uh, it was quite good. I was a really cheap casual, but um, the absolute majority of time has been spent in New South Wales public schools. And that's, that's really where I have, have worked and thoroughly enjoyed it. So in essence, I worked a lot at Elizabeth MacArthur High School, which is in Norellan, and I was a year advisor and a casual teacher and then eventually became the head teacher PE and eventually the deputy principal. There was a point in time in there that I worked in Chicago um, in some uh, really interesting and and difficult places over in in the US. Um, I took some time out and worked in health while still working in in education as well and did a partnership with some PE uh, colleagues and some doctors and exercise physiologists around an obesity program. Um, but it was the deputy principalship at Elizabeth MacArthur and then I became the deputy principal at James Roos Agricultural High School. And then while I was there, um, there was an opportunity to come to Penrith for 10 weeks. And I stayed for 10 and then I stayed for another 10 and eventually um, accepted this position and I've essentially been here ever since. That's quite the journey you've yeah. had, sir. <laughs> I've never heard the full story of it and it's yeah. like it's really great to see like all the achievements that you've done across the years. 
Yeah, we've very had fortunate. Like, we've had like bits and pieces from all of our other teachers. Yeah, but like, like we've, we've heard around that you've been yeah. like a PE teacher at some point in your life. But yeah, like it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, a good time. But it's um, I'm, I'm glad that um, I'm a bit older now, and it's uh, yeah, it's good memories. But I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> Uh, you've um, you have mainly worked in public education and over the past 10 years in the selective schools. Do you have a passion for supporting public education? And could you describe that philosophy for us? Yeah, I sure can. I've got an absolute passion for public education. And part of the reason that I came to Penrith and then stayed at Penrith and we did the work, um, I went to a public school. You know, I went to a public school, I went to Camden Public School, then I went to Camden High School. And I'm a big believer in the role that our selective high schools play for our highly gifted students. Um, I'm always really mindful that selective high schools sit within the system, so they're one of our types of schools because the power is in the system in public education. And my other philosophy is that the education that you get in New South Wales public schools is and should be as good as anywhere. And as someone that grew up in the western suburbs in Camden, sort of the southwest, Penrith is actually really close because the school looks really similar to my high school that I went to. It's the same sort of vintage it's got the same windows, the same corridors. It has a really similar look and feel. And my feeling was that I just wanted to have a school where you didn't need to live on the North Shore. You didn't need to live in the eastern suburbs. You didn't need to pay an extortionate amount of money, but you could get a world-class education. And that's what kids at Penrith get. And I'm really, really proud of that because that's what public education does. It doesn't matter where you're from, what you earn, your family, your background. You can get all of that here. That's very heartfelt, sir. <laughs> like you have like a touching childhood story to like go into your passion. Have you always wanted to be like a teacher? Like ever since you were like, not a teacher, but like a principal, has that always been a goal of yours? I didn't have any thoughts about being a principal when when I was a student and I, or even really in the early days of my teaching career. But what I did have, which makes me reflect on things later on, is I had some outstanding principals as a student. Uh, my, my high school principal, a, a gentleman by the name of Ken Newton, was the principal at Camden High School and just phenomenal. And he only passed away. I went to his funeral actually about a month ago. No, and look, we'd stayed in touch and he'd lived a, a magnificent life and was just a magnificent influence. So when you meet people like that, I think it doesn't necessarily make you think that's what I want to do. But as you get further into you, your career, you think, well, maybe I can make the difference. You know, maybe I can do similar to what he did because he was transformational. Many others as well, teachers and people that I'd met. So yeah, you get inspired and then you think, well, Maybe I can give this a go. <laughs> that's that's like a very it's a very strong like origin story. I think like having like a role model to look yeah. upon. Yeah, you said before that you didn't really know that you wanted to become a principal, and it was kind of just something that happened. Um, and like to become a principal, you have to go through like stages, right, from teacher to head teacher and principal. Do you think like all of these stages had different challenges, and you were well prepared to be a principal, or do you think being a principal had its own challenges? A bit of both, I think, is the answer to that. So I had a background in elite sport. I played sport for Australia. I played at a couple of world championships. I played, I trained out of the AIS. I played professionally in the US, did different things like that. So those, and I was always young. I was always sort of the youngest on the team and, and doing things. I was quite a young principal when I got here. Um, so I was 35 when I got the principalship here at Penrith. That is significantly younger than most of my principal colleagues. At that point, I was the youngest our principal to be appointed to a selective high school in New South Wales um, in the system. Well, I think it just happens, I think, in some ways. And um, I, I think as a result, you sort of, um, 
you do, do you do develop those skills? So when you ask that question, do you learn things? You'd learn things at all of those steps. I always sort of say, by the time I became a deputy principal, you start to think, well, that might be something that I want to do. And I was lucky to do two deputy principalships at Elizabeth MacArthur and also at James Roos. And then I also did my master's. And those three things really galvanise your thinking about how you might lead a school and really support the kids that are at your school. Oh, sir, um, just for curiosity's sake, what sport did you play? In oh, like so I played fast pitch softball, which we played a lot oh. of at school. And I was a pitcher and had the opportunity to travel to many different countries around the world. So That's new. I actually haven't heard that one. Uh, before. Well, it's a long time ago. So it's a sort of a different chapter. And again, sort of the body's a bit older and stiffer and, and I don't play anymore and I haven't for quite some time. But it's um, all of those things. And I think particularly being part of a team sport, they teach you how to... Um, to connect with other people and schools are really diverse you know we have lots of different people and you meet lots of different people in your career so um, and you have to work as part of a team because no, nobody can do these things solo yeah that, I think that's a really good lesson for people to learn especially you know people during sport time I think people don't like getting into teamwork <laughs> so I think but I really do think that's like a good okay so um when you like did encounter these new challenges as a principal how did you overcome them or like just in general do you have a certain philosophy you use when you're like faced with challenges that you don't know how to overcome yeah so as a principal it is absolutely the best job you can have like it is the best job it can also be at times the most lonely job um, i was very lucky um particularly the longer that i was here that i had outstanding deputy principals and we had really great staff um, the other thing is I think in all schools and particularly here at Penrith, um, I was very determined to hear student voice. So we'd set up some structures. They were different in the early days to what they are now um, because you had to sort of tailor it. But there were, were lots of ways that we would uh, listen to students. Uh, when I got here, there weren't prefects. We hadn't had prefects at the school since 1983, so that was one of the things that I brought back. We sort of had a, a good discussion with the, that we had captains and vice captains. The SRC played a role. But there were very limited positions for students, whereas if you look at Penrith now, there are literally hundreds of leadership positions. We obviously have our prefect body, but there's a whole range of different things. Those student leadership groups feeding in and providing advice, it doesn't mean you can do everything that the students want you to do, but you have that. We have surveys. We, we would often run surveys for staff to get their input. And then as a leader, you try and bring all that together with the knowledge that you can never make everybody happy, but you give that information back in the most transparent way to sort of say, this is what people said, this is what we're going to do. And then on the rare occasions as a leader, when you've got access to more information than others do, sometimes you just have to make that call to make the decision. You don't want to make those too often, um, but it's really sort of capturing what, what people think they need and what they're wanting at that point in time to have a strong direction. Uh, last episode, we actually had, we talked with our uh, prefect body, I think. The captains. The captains. Yeah. And they were like, I think... Like, the fact that you brought back prefects really, like, made a difference for them especially because they were talking about how, like, their goal was to, you know, create a difference in the school. And we could 100% see that in, like, our, like, normal school life. Especially, I think you were talking about Multicultural Day and how um, that was, like, a, a fully, like, student-run uh, event and how it was, like, very much done by the prefect and how they really enjoyed helping, you know, students voice their opinions and, you know, help out and stuff. So I think, like, you bringing back, like, that body especially has, like, really helped them because they were really grateful for having, like, a great team to work with. And I'm really proud of them. And when I think about the – so there were essentially two groups because, as you both know, we do the changeover of student leaderships at the end of Term 2 for the start of Term 3, so Year 12 can focus in on their exams. So that was in place before I got here. We So we ha I had two groups that I got to talk to because of the transitional time. And then Grace Folder 
and Adam Evans were the first two school captains that had to navigate having a prefect body with them. That took some time. They did a really good job and they had a bigger group of people. There were 30 in that leadership group and it's really refined. So year after year, and there's been teachers and Miss Pipio in particular is the head teacher co-curricular. They've refined and finessed that model. But what you see at Penrith now, there are students doing, you look at this, I mean the podcast didn't exist. <laughs> that was there because students said, we want to do a podcast and we're like, okay, talk through the rationale. And the answer is essentially yes, if you can back it up as students. And you look at what happens. I mean, this in itself is a phenomenal project. So we love to hear student voice in different ways. Yeah, I think having different aspects of the school, you know, through club leadership, through like prefect leadership, I think just having like a lot of opportunity for people really like help them build their confidence as well and, you know, give them skills. And I love it because I agree with you. And I think you see that and, and it changes and it gets better every year, not because the people are necessarily better because the students have, have for years been amazing, but you provide the conditions for people to really excel. I think that's one of like the best things about this school in speci- like in specificity. Mm. I don't know if that's what. Um, but like, it's so you like gave us the groundwork for the prefecting, and we like. I mean, it wasn't just us; it was a lot of the teachers. They helped as well, but um, it was very student driven. So it's not just the prefects. So it's not just the prefects that was like a leadership thing. It went to clubs, and clubs became leaders, and then like multimedia became a thing. And, like, all of that happened. And teachers did a lot of help, but it was also, like, a lot of student initiative. It's, you've summarised that incredibly well. And the, the teacher role was, I know when we implemented this model, because it's grown, as you just explained, is that we didn't want the teachers running it because the teachers are exceptional, as you know, but they've got limited time. So we need them to be able to teach, but we needed teacher sponsors and people that would then sponsor a group, stay in the background, provide support, make sure that um, if, if students needed help, they could, but we wanted students front and centre. And the assemblies are like that as well. So pretty early on, we didn't ban teachers from talking on assembly, but we really said to the teachers, you spend all day talking, let the students talk. So our our assemblies now are very, very student-centred and you get to hear from lots of the groups. Um, And it's a good thing. There's 930 kids here. Um, All of them are exceptional. All of them are different and unique but they need that opportunity to, to find their strength. Yeah, I also think the students really enjoy it as well because I think like a very crucial moment like from assemblies that I remember specifically was Philosophy Club. Oh, the and they used to have the announcement they used to have was like <laughs> so funny and like they always you know got you to like pay attention to yep. them. It was and it was like a very student driven as well. Yep. That was made by the students. And I think that was like a really big thing for me especially. I think our assemblies are fun. Yeah. You know, and you get those really fun. funny maths jokes and they get up and yeah. you've got that. And they have that for a sports club now yeah. as well. The sports leaders right. have, have uh, motivational quotes at the end of their speeches. Yeah. it's. Um, I think it's also like before, like one person started doing it and like everyone's enjoying it. So it's like encouraging other people to like get out there and try new things. Yeah. Yeah, and I if I mean, if you talk to students that were here in my early days, assembly looked really different. It was configured in a different way. We actually flipped it around. Those stairs where, that are now the stage, that's where Year 12 sat. Oh, and it was really interesting that. and it was there was one little portable PA system because that's all we had on the microphone. So we changed all that. Mr Ferguson organised to get proper speakers in and, and to have a space that we could have a weekly assembly. But when we needed to, you could have a really formal assembly as well because there's just times as a school community... We need to celebrate things in a really formal way. And on the weekly assemblies, showcase the work that's happening so younger kids and new students through the 8 to 11 process can see those opportunities and, and connect. Because that's the thing in schools, you want to be connected to your peers. Yeah, yeah. Very, like, school connection. Yeah. Yeah. The more, like... The more I like hear about this and stuff, it's like I'm realising just how much you, like, effort and work you've put into, like, changing our school. Because when we were 
like in year seven I think yeah I mean you were still in principal then and we didn't really realize how much effort and like how different school was before yeah and like yeah. there's yeah. been lots of changes but it's um but that's why I love it like I and even I've been out for almost two years I can I love Penrith you know I really love the school but it's a big team effort because as you said it wouldn't happen if the students weren't driving it and the staff are here are very very special mm-hmm. they're very good people I think I think it's really evident of like the legacy you've left here because even on like the A block wall you can see the blazer is the yeah. outer oh, garment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the blazer is the outer garment, yes. And like every assembly, every time it's about uniforms or something, it's just like those words being repeated over and over. And again. they're funny those bulkheads, because that was the student voice competition in twenty eighteen and students actually got to submit their favourite quotes. So you'll see different movie quotes and philosophers and other things. And then <laughs> I know who submitted those two, actually. There was Blazers Are the Outer Garment and Mark's in the Back. Is the yeah. Other yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they were nominated by a couple of students and they were, because <laughs> I got the results, they were by far and away the two most popular. I think they, they were both <laughs> at 30% each. And, uh, and at that time, there was just a shift in what we were doing. But it was, but again, that was actually student voice on those bulkheads, not actually written by someone else. They weren't our rules. They were all voted upon. By the student body. In I that think they're very entertaining. I yeah. think that's a very good choice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, could you share a moment or experience that defined your approach to leadership during your time as a principal? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good question and it changes over time. I I, I would reflect back in, in the first 10 weeks that I was here, we had Walkathon. Um, so Walkathon was on. Um, it wasn't at the end of the term because Walkathon used to be a bit earlier, but we decided to put all of those major events in the final week of term so you sort of can learn for really deeply and then do it but I didn't know the school but I'd worked really closely with at that stage the captains and the vice captains and the president of the SRC would sit in in that meeting so there would be five students and I uniform at Penrith was a big problem because it was not good it was a really it wasn't a good reflection on the students because the students are amazing but they didn't look amazing and the school didn't look sharp and we know that you have to make a good impression on people so I had sort of said Everyone's in P uniform. You're all doing walkathon. We need to, we're out in public. We need to look sharp, and I thought that was the right decision. But I would um, I would email the students a lot. You might remember a little bit about that, but I would often email back and forth yeah. because you'd find things out. And I remember that the captains and vice captains at about nine thirty ten o'clock that night before before walkathon. They uh, yeah, it was about that time, and they said, "We know what you're thinking." But we need you to understand that Walkathon is actually a really special Mufti Day for our school, and that respect. And they were very respectful. And they said, "Look, respectfully, we you've got that wrong. Tomorrow can't be full school uniform because people. This has been going on for years." Now I didn't know that, but because I'd had that converse that uh, relationship with that student leadership body, we emailed the school at about ten o'clock at night, and we sort of said, "I've got this wrong. Your student leaders have explained this. It's Mufti," and we did that quite late at night. And I think listening to what students are saying, students understanding you can't always get it right and they're not, and they're not always going to get the decision. But that was a really early example where the students could communicate through their student leaders. I think the captains and vice captains were getting hit pretty hard with text yeah. messages and emails <laughs> and probably in those days Facebook messages from their friends. Um, but I think adapting to that and, and listening to students and then providing the feedback. So that's one. And then over time there's, there's just other examples where um, – you know, students would sort of say, you know, we want to run a club and we want to do this and we want to 
we want our CAPA programs to look significantly different. And you look at the fact now that they just finished performing for a second year at the conservatorium yeah. and there's been a, a music and we've got really strong enrichment programs in, in um, sport and debating. Yeah, Whatever you want to do here, you can do. Um, and that's really come from student voice. Yeah, I yeah. think that's having like a wide variety of like opportunities. It's just really nice for students. I think that's one thing that we always tell like new students whenever yeah. they come. It's like, yeah. we have it's so like many things you can do. Yeah. Just enroll in everything yeah. until you find what you like. Absolutely, because I think then as a student, you've only got to find one good friend to start with. Yeah. But you've got to find your tribe. And whether that means that you, you might be an amazing year seven coder in year seven, but the, the other coder exists in year 11, because it's a club and it's not always year-based, you can find that one person. And then it grows from there. And that's how people, I think, form really good friendships and connections. Yeah, I think that's a good philosophy too. I think that happens a lot. Sorry. Yeah, so from your experience, how has school changed since you first came here? Yeah, wow. The, um, so on a really superficial level but a really important level, our uniform has changed. So uniform is significantly different. We did a lot of work with the student body and people would sort of say, look, what do we need to do? And I said, well, we can't look like a shabby school. It's you got to <laughs> look sharp. you got to stick do. up yeah. to the name. I don't, so, yeah. so we, uh, yeah, no. I don't think the uniform thing is shabby at all because, like, when you came in, I think that was what, you like, stood out to you the most and you worked really hard to change it. Yeah. And, like, Penrith right now, our uniform is, like, it's what defines us. Oh. We're, like, it's, it's what people, like, see us by it's the first impression. Yep. And I think that's really important and you worked really hard to change it. I, I agree with you. And there's a funny story to that because I spoke to a uniform supplier and I sort of said – we. The students have agreed and the parents, there was lots of work with the PNC and the, because it was a lot of money. And the uniform supplier sort of said, well, look, blazers are $200 each. Now, that's a lot of money to yeah. do. Yeah. So I had a friend of mine who worked in the industry, in the clothing industry, and we went through and we got a number of quotes. And he said to me, he goes, look, I, I can actually get, I can get it all sorted and I'll get them for $80. So then we had four fittings, two of them in the school holidays and then two of them after school and 680 blazers were ordered for $80 each. And about 10 weeks later, the, ship, the shipment arrived from overseas and everyone was in a blazer. And that's kind of where those rules came from and, and that sort of playful uh, blazer is the outer garment, but that was significant. The work around the school facilities, our school facilities are significantly different. Like you can look at the cafeteria, you yeah, look at our yeah. playground area. Oh like one of the things that stood out to me first when I like, came into high school, especially from primary school, was the fact that we had a cafeteria. Yeah. Like that yeah. was like, you know, like su- such like a big step for us, yeah. I think. Uh, I think just looking at that was like, oh. It just looks good. The, um, there's a, there is a, a facilities newsletter that has all the before and after photos of all the things that have changed. It's enormous. For me, yeah. what stood out the most was um, the like IA loan, like the tech. Because yes. I remember when I was writing selective, like during the exam, I was in year six. Um, we had the break between the two tests, and I was like walking through to the bathrooms, and I was seeing, I was like, this, like that was what made me really want to get into. Oh, Paris. really? Just the <laughs> island, <laughs> yeah. Because they were like, oh, I forgot what it's called, the tree with the purple flowers, jacaranda. Jacaranda, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was looking at that, and I was like, wow, I've never seen so much like green in a school before mm. oh i think the purple leaves like like yeah. the, the flowers i just like fall and yeah. it looked so pretty and i was like that's what made me want to like get into Penrith because i was like imagine if i could go to a school where i could look at this every single day for like five yeah five years it's a beautiful space let me tell you the quick funny story about the ia lawn or the taz area whatever some people call it different things um we did that in COVID. really yeah so we did so when COVID hit and the students were at home um 
I was in here most days, the deputies were in here most days and Mrs Ryan, but there would often only be probably five or six of us on site. So we had some money. At that point, there was no job keeper. So we actually worked out, let's support some local businesses because at that point, they weren't sure if they were going to have work. We had some money, but also we didn't know how long it was going to last for. So we said, let's change that area. Let's support the local economy. But when the kids get back, let's surprise them with a completely re-landscaped area. And there's a time capsule down there that Mrs. DePoli had organised. She was she was the principal here in Penrith between 2000 and 2010. And, then on, and we didn't tell anybody that it was going on. And when the students walked back the first day back after COVID, they went, my goodness, there's table tennis tables and it's yeah. beautiful with sandstone. And the oh, the sands that I am. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. think we were there for that and yeah. we were so surprised. You were shocked, yeah? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it, was a, it was sort of our way of saying, welcome back, we missed you. Um, but also being a good social uh, and responsible community member as a school because our school has to play an important role in that. Yeah, yeah. I think like like also helping like the school students, you know, because like teachers use that for like sport and stuff mm. as well. Mm-hmm. So helping like the school as well as helping local communities. I think that just is like a really good reflection of our school just in general. I think we walk our talk. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think it's really important. We're, we're in a very privileged position in many ways to come to, to be part of such a great school and where we can, we want to contribute. And that's what the band does and all the other community service that happens as well. But I do like that IA area because it was very much welcome back after COVID because we very missed you a lot. <laughs> it's my favourite part. Um, speaking of like contributions and stuff, I think like while I was thinking about it and just another thing that you've completely changed is just like the relationship between like faculty and students because like it's so easy now to just like, go up to a teacher and tell them your ideas and like just the implementation of student voice is so important to the students and the teachers as well because a lot of things that our school has that are like really treasured um, in the community are because of student voice and just like the ability to be able to talk to your teachers freely and be taken like a, like seriously and like yeah <laughs> we, we'll add that I think you're yeah. right no no I think you're right and if when you talk about that I don't know if you remember but in the early days I used to say on assembly and in any, any forum it was only two rules around student voice. I don't know if you remember oh, yeah, what they we, are. Oh, yeah. you do remember? Oh. Do you remember what they were? So I was in year seven. My it's memory, okay. Uh, <laughs> I know, okay, very roughly. Yeah. I think it's like, um, there's like no, I was like speak up or something because you, your thing will never be stupid. I don't know. Pretty similar. Yeah, it was like um, something related. And you know, and I just realised I've misspoken. There was, there was only one rule, not two, and it was that it had to be respectful. And, and I used to say to the students, that's the only rule around student voice, that it had to be respectful. And I would say to the students, and I expect that because you had the sophistication and the intellect to mount the argument. And that was the only rule. And the students did that really well. It's not that they didn't do it before, but it was in that change of culture. Um, it was just reinforced. Yeah, yeah, and it was just to sort of set up, that's how we're going to work. Because the teachers here are phenomenal and they're really busy. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes students can sort of at times go, but I said I really want this. And it's like, we can do it, but maybe not tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> right, um, right. And I think we've hit a happy medium. But it's fascinating that you pick up that that's the teachers are really approachable because um, they're, they're a I wonderful think, group. Yeah, I think it also like encouraged – I think it also encouraged a lot of people to start speaking up and stuff because – when I was in year eight, um, I was like, I was, oh, how do I put this nicely? I was very, like, shy. I, I wasn't, like, one to be, like, making friends actively and stuff. And because of that, I, like, started a club. Well, me and, like, a few other friends. What I did you start out of curiosity? I can't remember. Oh, wait. Um, this was, I think it was, like, um, 
I think it was like a mindfulness club or something. Okay. It was just like a place that run, I think, week A. I don't remember. This is a yeah. while ago. Mm. And it was just like we'd go to a room and we'd chill, we'd play board games, we'd like talk, and it was just that. Um, and it didn't work out. Like, yeah. And that's fine. And like, I didn't mind that it didn't work out because at least me and like the friends who I led it with, we just have a place to talk a few days a week. And that was a really important experience to me because that was more or less my very first taste of leadership yeah and like that encouraged me to start going out into like multimedia and to like where i am right now and it was like a very so you just make me really happy yeah. because i kind <laughs> of remember that mindfulness club and there's lots of things that have run yeah. over the years some have worked some haven't um sometimes they work really well at that point in time yeah and, and i love like the fact um even today right that there's two female students doing this interview um, because we worked really hard to make sure that there's opportunities for boys and girls. Um, we've got a really multicultural school, so you're trying to do lots of things. And even as a principal, I can't have all the knowledge around the cultural knowledge because people come, people literally come from all around the world and are here. So it's it's really rich. Do you have a favourite memory <laughs> of being here at Penrith High School? I, um, I've got a do, and it's really difficult to sort of put them all in, in, in as one. So I, I want to capture a couple of things because I think one of the things about the principalship is they are all connected. So when I think about my favourite memory, we worked really closely with um, the group that I'm going to work for now in the US. We actually flew their top people out from the US to come and work with our staff for two years in a row around Ooh. professional learning. Yeah. And then we shared that. So at Penrith, we ran an international gifted ed conference two years in a row. So all of our Penrith teachers were at the cutting edge of that global work. So that was one of them. I was so proud of our first ever prefect induction because we, the school actually has two prefect books that go back to 1950 where all of the prefects have signed. We're, we're on to the second one, but even the second one is really oh, old. Is it goes that back book that they signed when they yes. go yeah. yeah. oh. So we'd found that and we dragged that out of the archives and we were using that. So the first prefect induction was very special and even more special because it was a grandfather of one of the boys, Antonio Perry. His granddad was a prefect in the 50s and still had his badge. So he was here. But that was a big shift for the school. Um, I love our co-curricular program. So when we do the the club expos. Yeah, for like the youth They're so like well like made as well. And I I love seeing you all connect and share emails and then kids are coming in. And and it just makes that transition to school easier and and reconnecting. The fact that we've done our Kappa showcases now at the Conservatorium in Sydney. Oh, yeah. The, um, beautiful. Also, Penrith in performance. Yeah, like that absolutely. That was a huge success. Yeah. I think it was yeah, very, it was very nice massively. to Massively. And um, so you've sort of got all of that. And the other thing is, I mean, I don't think students always see this, but we, the work that our teachers have done and the professional learning has really been world class. But since over all of those years, so many, if you look at our head teachers, they were classroom teachers who became head teachers. Yeah, and then yeah. some of our head teachers, Mr. Ferguson, Miss Cush, they became deputy principals. Now Miss Cush is actually leading the school as the principal, and there's many others who are in promotion positions outside of the school. So for them, as adults, for their career, that's another important part. We don't talk to students a whole lot about that, but it just means that the work at Penrith is really highly regarded. So it's um, and I, I guess the bottom line is that Penrith now is so competitive to get into. Kids don't leave Penrith, really. Yeah. Um, in my first year, I think we lost 60 kids that would go to other schools. These days, it's less than 10. You know? and, th- and we have thousands of people that apply to come to the school every year. And that's used to be maybe th- 250, 300. 
So I think that also shows your impact on the school and how much, you know, yeah. the, the competitive legacy. Yeah. yeah. And I think people want to come, but it also talks that that's us as a whole school community. Yeah. Like it's not just the principalship because I think also it's, I haven't been here for two years, right. really. Yeah. I mean, I, Miss Cush and I talk quite a bit and she's a phenomenal educational leader. Um, but when you've got all these people, open night earlier on this term, 700 people came in one night. Oh, I heard night. about that, dude, like <laughs> the email they sent. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So look, all of those things I'm, I'm really proud of and I could go on forever, but I just, I love the fact that when I walk through Penrith, kids are happy you know, and they get outstanding teaching from their teachers. So um, in your view, what is the most important quality a school leader should possess? There's, it's like everything. There's a couple of pieces to it. You know, to be a really good school leader, you need to know curriculum. You know, whether if you're going to be a teacher, a head teacher, a deputy principal, or a principal, you need to know how curriculum works. What is good teaching and learning? I always sort of say, and I've taught a little bit, even the last two years while I haven't been here. At times, because we've been short of teachers, I've gone in and taught. I think that's really important from the leadership perspective of the school. Though, um, you have to listen. You know, mm. you have to listen enough. You have to know what you're doing and what the research would sort of say around schools. And then there are times, as I've mentioned before, you have to make a decision that might not always be popular, but long-term it's right. Because essentially the principal has almost all of the information they need. Um, you just don't want to make those decisions too often. You know? But listening to students, listening to staff, and we haven't touched on parents, but the parent body at Penrith have been phenomenal. The I've been PNC. PNC and then a broader group as well, but the PNC have been outstanding. I've been very lucky to have great PNC presidents, um, but the parents at Penrith, whether we're on Zoom meetings or they're emailing, um, I used to really enjoy that because you could listen to what they were thinking. And, yeah. um, and we always sort of say, clever kids have clever parents. Yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> really rich experiences. I think listening is not just like a school leader thing. It's like just... In general, if you want to be a good leader, you need to like listen to people and like, take yep. their opinions as well. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so now that we've looked at your past, let's look towards what you're going to do in the future. Yeah. So what are you looking forward to in your new role? I'm, um, I'm looking forward to the challenge. So it's really different to being a principal. It's probably similar in some ways to being a director that I've been doing for the last two years. And I've had 21 schools and lots of students and lots of staff. But this new role involves having a school in Los Angeles, in Studio City, a school in Seattle, and they have their own principals. So this is part of a bigger group. Um, there is a, a virtual school, so an online school where anybody from around the world could actually go and participate yeah, in yeah, that school. Yeah, I didn't school. know those were things. That's yeah. the thing. I, I, was, I was like really surprised when you brought that up during the assembly. I was like, oh. So something a bit different. And, um, and then there's a graduate school that has a couple of those people that came out and worked with the Penrith staff a few years ago, but some of the, the top academics in that space in the graduate school, and there's adults doing their masters and doctorates at that graduate school. There's a professional learning centre. There is a publishing business attached with that as well. So there's six pieces, and I'm going to be the CEO of those six All of businesses. Them? And, and, and we're, I'm going to be have the real privilege to work then with those leaders of each of those groups and the staff within them to really work together to really support the kids that are in those schools but there's a lot of outreach as well. So in the same way that Penrith has been highly impacted by the work from Bridges um, in California, um, and there's many other students all around the world, we're going to really try and build that and, and, in, and improve things for students as well and share that knowledge that, that sits across that magnificent group of people, but also pull in experts. For example, there's experts here in that space that work at Penrith, so hopefully there'll be ways to tap into that knowledge as well. That's a really big responsibility, but also such a great opportunity to have. It's... 
It's. I'm looking forward to it. it was a, it's a huge decision to leave Penrith because it's. It is absolutely bittersweet, um, but the complexity of the role is something that I'm looking forward to, and just the opportunity, you know, to live overseas. And I know so many pen, so many students at Penrith, either they or their parents, they've immigrated. Right, so yeah. what I'm going to do is, in in a way, is the reverse. Like I only grew up sort of 30 minutes down the road from Penrith. I'm going to move to another country and do what so many of you and your parents have done and just go and see what it's like and, and then try and make a difference. That, that sounds like, as much as it sounds like challenging, I think it also sounds like really fun, you know, just having yeah. like a change in pace in life. Like seeing everything America has to offer, yeah. like all the new sites. Are you well, excited for America? I am excited. The uh, It'll be really, it's interesting. I've spent a lot of time there and, and pa- when I touched on before about my sporting career, I, I lived there when I was... Um, I was 18 when I first went there in the first year, um, but it was a long time. That was a long time ago. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to that, and um, and the world's different, as we know. Like there's a lot happening in the world at this point. So, um, but I'm older, and I hope a bit wiser. Certainly grayer in my hair, <laughs> you know. So um, I'm no looking worries, forward so to it. We can barely notice. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, so finally, looking back uh, um, with all your years, what advice would you give to the students at our school and inspiring leaders? So I think my piece of advice to students remains the same, which is take everything you can possibly do. And I mentioned before my former principal, Ken Newton, he used to say to us on assemblies when I was at school a long time ago, he used to say, find something you can do and do it to the best of your ability. I haven't said that too often here, but that's really been the thing. Like, let's create all the opportunities for, for kids to do. Expect you to give back as well as take. Um, and then a large part of that is, and it really does get into that mantra, marks in the bag, you will all do better if you work together. Because in the end, it's only rank one that locks it in. Everything else moves around. So the more opportunities, not just marks in the HSC, because life's more than an ATAR, but all of those experiences and collaborating and working together, that's what people expect in the workplace. That's how you have a harmonious community and society that's just how you have a better time. So the more people work together and stay working together, students, but also working with their teachers and their families and their, you know, all of the tutors that come in and and coaches and whatever it is, that would be the main message, you know, work together and throw, if marks aren't necessarily just the marks, but you throw all those experiences in the bag, everybody lifts and that would be the key message. Yeah, a lot of the things you've been saying, our teachers have also been saying to us. <laughs> yeah. And also the prefect body that they even said like last week. I think that's like, I think everyone has like a harmonious view on this stuff. And I yeah. think it's like very nice how like, you know, in touch everyone is with how, like what their role is and what, you know, they, ex- not what they expect, but like what they wish for the future to be. Like I think you're right. Yeah. And I think you capture that because I think they know, of course, like people want to get something out of it. And, I, and I, that's understandable. There's nothing, and there's nothing wrong with that. We shouldn't shy away from it. But I love the fact as well, I, I genuinely think staff and students, but students in particular because they're younger, they also know the access point of how they can contribute and how they can make a difference. You know, So it's a, it is a fantastic place, 73 years. We're not that far away from the 75th anniversary. I can't wait to come back for that. And um, yeah, I mean, amazing students that have been here both from the comprehensive days and from when the, when the school became selective in 1989. But the sky's the limit for every single person that is here. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast.
Um, it was a wonderful experience. I think I really enjoy yeah. talking and learning about your experiences, you know. I've had a great time talking to both <laughs> of you. And thank you for the work you're doing because you get to share the Penrith story both within the school, but there are people, I've seen the stats, so we know people listen to this overseas as well. <laughs> and um, so do you and the team, and I guess like all of this, you're the current custodians for this podcast and you will leave it in a better shape than you found it because it improves every year. And let's see what it looks like in 10 years' time. But thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks, sir. That was wonderful. That's it for today's episode of The Pendant Perception. We hope you enjoy the inspiring words of your community and culture. Thank you so much to Mr. Long who shared his experiences and words. That wraps up our discussion today, so thank you for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Penrith Perception, a podcast made by the multimedia team. To support us, feel free to follow us on Spotify. You can also find us on Instagram at The Penrith Perception for more news, behind-the-scenes materials, and upcoming episodes. This podcast was recorded on Dark Land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. The Penrith Perception is mixed and edited by Shamila Faisal and Bethany Hoffman. Executive produced by Mirazvi Salika and Yashika Sarabhanan and Dimitri Skardanis. Produced by Holly Kuriakos, Kavya Vishwanath. Scripted by Malina Hanna, Snigna Nishani and Sachika Chakraborty. Graphic design by Shreya Saratha. Music composed by Pritam Telugu.